I'm originally from Mexico, and that's where I started my underwater adventures. Picture yourself being completely neutral buoyant, so that means not going up, not going down, floating, being aware of your breathing, taking deep breaths, exhaling slowly. From one second to the next one, you will be surrounded by hundreds of fish, turtles, and ever-changing seasons also. Like when you go diving in spring or in winter, you will experience different animals being around there. So close up, you see these very complex 3D structures composed from rocks and corals that in between them have some little shrimps. Compared to the cities, it's just a quiet place. of us have different relationships to the sea and to water and for me it brings back absolutely brilliant memories of my childhood in Mumbai growing up right next to Juhu Beach and we used to make sandcastles, look for crabs and once in a while even dip my toe into the water. But it's interesting because just a little bit further down the coast where my dad grew up is gone. He used to play cricket there and it is now covered in these huge pieces of stone that are there to dissipate the huge forces of the waves that are battering the coastline and even affecting the foundations of the buildings like the one he used to live in. So as our coasts are getting more vulnerable, so are our oceans. And marine habitats are in fact declining at a rate faster than any other time in human history, which is making it one of the biggest ecological threats that currently faces us. We've also got evidence that humans have significantly altered about two-thirds of the ocean. We certainly seem to have a lot to answer for. But all is not lost. And today we're going to have a look at how deep sea engineering can offer a unique solution to biodiversity loss in our oceans. By just giving nature a protected area, it can restore and also populate the surrounding waters the ways in which we can protect our coastlines for humans and non-humans alike. How we interact as humans with nature is a key strategy for creating a good output for both. And how to reframe our understanding of nature for the better. Nature is the best solution always. It's just a matter of looking at that balance and at the big picture. So join me, Roma Agrawal, and coastal engineer Jaime Asienzo to explore how we can preserve these oceanic ecosystems and coastlines, and how to look towards the future with optimism. So hi, Mick, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and where you are now and what you're doing? Yeah, of course, I'm uh, Jaime Asensio, from Mexico. I'm just in love with the ocean, so my kind of family nickname is fish because I always wanted to be in the water, swimming, discovering stuff. And that passion really stayed with me when I was making choices on what study, where to work. And uh, I worked in the Caribbean and in Mexico for around two, three years, finding solutions against coastal erosion, which is when sand just goes away from the beach. And that's where I saw that there was an opportunity to do things differently by working with nature with truly engineering. So I decided to come to the Netherlands to do my master's degree in TU Delft in coastal engineering. So how waves actually interact with nature and the coastline. 
That's where also Reefy started, which is a startup creating solutions for restoring marine biodiversity together with projects that people need and are paying for like marine infrastructure. And that means every construction that goes in the water. So there's a lot of words that we hear in the news headlines and Maybe that's a bit overwhelming for some of us. We don't really understand what some of these words mean. So I wanted to do like a bit of a quick fire round so you can explain some of these terms to me. First one is biodiversity loss. I think we have a lot of problem out there defining what biodiversity is because it's not just a number of species that are there, but also how they interact with each other and how they are in a balanced ecosystem. So when we discuss about biodiversity loss, it might be that we're missing certain species that are creating this unbalance or that something changed in the ecosystem that these species are not interacting in the same way. Great. That makes perfect sense to me. My second one is over-exploitation. This is a good one. You over-exploitate this is because you are taking out too much for the natural system to remain in balance. So balance, I think, is this one of the key words that I've understood for the first two, biodiversity loss and overexploitation. right? My third one is the acidification of oceans. One of the main causes of climate change is the emissions that are being put out there in the atmosphere by humans. And one of the most famous gases discussed out there is carbon. So this carbon has been absorbed also by the oceans. And that changes the pH, which is how acid or base the water will be. This change has been so quickly compared to natural rhythms geologically in the earth that is creating some challenges for species that depend on certain chemistry in the water to grow. For example, all the calcium building species that create a shell or that make calcium structures like corals, they're highly affected by this factor. Right, so carbon being absorbed into the water, making it a little bit more acidic and then affecting, I guess, yeah, the chemical balance of lots of creatures. Correct. Got it. The fourth one is habitat destruction. Yeah, well, I'm trying to simplify the words because this is very like broad topics. I'm pretty, <laughs> there's experts on each of them. So I, I, this is my own understanding. And habitat, how we define it in the topics that I work with is basically creating space and the quality of that space for species to thrive. So when we discuss habitat destruction, mainly caused by human developments, is removing area of natural ecosystems, but also removing the quality that this area has to actually thrive. So that might imply also connectivity for species that require large areas to hunt or to migrate. Perfect. And then the last one is coastal flooding. Coastal flooding means that higher waves caused by more frequent and stronger storms are inundating areas that are close to the ocean because they are not highly elevated and they are prone by the combination of the water level and the waves to go over the defenses that they may have, either natural like dunes or man-made. Thank you so much for that, Jaime. Now, I think that there's two topics we wanted to cover today in more detail. One is coastal flooding and the other one is biodiversity loss. So maybe if we start with coastal flooding, could you give me a bit of an overview of where we are today? What's the current picture of what's happening in the world? Well, today, 25% of all semi-shorelands are eroding 
That means that we're losing that sandy beach, which is also part of the natural defense that we have against flooding. So we have a big increase in erosion that we haven't seen before without forgetting that coastlines are dynamic. That means that there's coastlines that have been always eroding, coastlines that have been always accreting. So there's something that is part of the natural ecosystem, but by several reasons, we see that erosion has been accelerated. So this sounds like a big issue already. Could you maybe talk me through some of the factors that are causing coastal erosion and coastal flooding? Yeah, well, our shorelines and our coast are eroding because of how we build our cities, our houses, our streets. By being too close to the shoreline, we don't create enough room for this natural line to move up and down, disturbing the the balance that used to be before. So that's one of the reasons why erosion has been accelerated. The other one is that sand is a prime resource material for building. We need it to build highways, houses. And over the last years, we have exploited already a lot of sand from rivers that are bringing that sand to the coastlines or already from the coastlines for coastal cities. So we already created a negative balance that nature is trying to compensate by eroding the coast. Right. And biodiversity loss, where are we at present with that? Well, that's a very good question because (laughs) biodiversity, as I said, is such a a complex topic that it's difficult to put a number on top of it. Like You can say "Ah, 60% biodiversity lost or not, but there is clear numbers on the number of species that we have lost both inland and in the ocean and the number of species that are on threat of extinction in the next years with human developments and climate change. The climate crisis, which is something that awareness is increasing worldwide, but biodiversity crisis is something that is upcoming and it will be way more impactful because our food depends on biodiversity, our climate depends on biodiversity. All this system is also connected to each other. So you told me a little bit about your nickname, which was fish, and how you ended up in this work, which is fantastic. You're also a very keen scuba diver, and I'm interested to know whether you have found a difference in what you see when you're diving today compared to, say, five or six years ago. The quick answer is a yes. You see things are changing quickly. So from five years ago, when I was diving in the Mesoamerican Reefs to this same year, corals disappearing, but also the corals are still there fighting on really warm waters. This year, it was like a jacuzzi in the Caribbean crazy temperatures from 30 to 40 degrees wow. for very long periods and all these corals, stress, bleaching, that's missing basically the relation they have with certain algaes to, that gives them their colors. So you see those changes, but also in the long term, when I was a kid snorkeling, I remember that it was so easy to spot wild nature around me when I was in the water. Like I remember being a kid, being close to the ocean, seeing thousands of dolphins left, right to the front. And now those sites are becoming more rare. I mean, that's quite stark, isn't it? That just within a few years and within your lifetime that you can see these changes. So I want to now kind of tie all of this together and understand a bit more about your work. So if you could tell us a little bit about Reefy and what you're trying to do with that. Yeah, well, in Reefy, we have the vision of rewilding the ocean, which means restoring and regenerating marine biodiversity together with marine infrastructure. 
we have chosen this battle because we want to really help at a large scale. And we believe that merging how we interact as humans with nature is a key strategy for creating a good output for both. So just imagine all the kilometers that we are modifying, not only on our highways on land, but also construction on the water, like ports, seawalls, and offshore winds, that they could have a positive impact instead of a negative one. So Jaime, you, you are trying to use engineering technology to create a solution for a problem that we have. So I want to know what were the solutions and ideas that have been coming up in the past and did some of them work? Have many of them not worked? Tell me a little bit about the history of this area. Well, as humans, we have been using construction as a way to protect ourselves for hundreds or thousands of years and they work well. But till now, we were not really aware that the ocean was not a limitless resource of food and other services. So what we are facing now is an opportunity and a challenge at the same time to design together with nature. So not only think on, let's build something that works to stop the waves, but how about deciding something that stops the waves and at the same time provides an opportunity for nature to take over. So can you tell me a little bit about what an artificial reef is? How do you actually build this artificial reef? I'm trying to picture it. So like, is it connected into the ground? What material is it made of? What does it look like if I went diving near one? So could you just like describe it to us for the listener? Well, we have been working already with artificial reefs for the last 50, 60 years. The issue here is that they have not been designed as construction materials. So as reefing, what we're trying to combine is the techniques that we know that do work in artificial reefs and trying to upscale that positive impact together with infrastructure. We have developed the reef blocks, and they look like massive Lego-like blocks, three meters long, one meter wide, one meter high, with a system of tunnels interconnected. What material are they made from? Uh, we have been developing different materials and depends on location. What we're doing now for the breakwaters is looking at sustainable alternatives to concrete. So it's still a cementitious material that can be long-lasting to keep people safe, but with low CO2 emissions and also with the right chemistry for allowing nature to take over. And so is the idea that you take these big Lego blocks and you stack them up in a particular way in a particular location? Correct. So would somebody come to you, say, because they're building a wind farm or they've got a lot of coastal erosion happening and they require some kind of intervention? Like, I want to understand what the purpose of the wall might be in the first place for you to then bring the nature balance to that project. Yeah, so let's picture a Caribbean coast, really nice, wide, sandy beach. But when there's storms, the town gets flooded. So the local government is going to take action and they're going to build something to stop those waves and protect the local community. Often what has been done in the past is looking for maybe the cheapest option or the easiest one to approach to achieve this one purpose, which is creating a seawall on the shore, stopping the waves from entering the city. But by doing this, you are interrupting the natural dynamics that happen at the shore. What are these natural dynamics? Well, first, this sand is also part of that coastal defense. But by putting a wall, when the wave is hitting the wall, this same wave is not 
dissipated, so the wave just comes back, is reflected, taking away all the sand. So often what these seawalls do is making the sand to go to deeper waters, making the beach to disappear. And that increases the problem because you don't have this natural defense anymore. By placing also this straight wall, you're interrupting the interaction that the waves have with the sandy shoreline with the dune. So what is the dune in a coastline? Is this kind of sandy hill, often covered by vegetation, that is being flat out to allow people to see the, the sea straight or for seawalls to take over. But what, what is very important is that this dune is the last line of defense because when there is a big storm, this dune is being eroded. So the waves take out sand of this dune and place it back on the beach. And what is happening is that this sand, by being moved into the water, is creating a natural breakwater or creating conditions for bigger waves to break more far away from shore. So there's this interaction that is really powerful in nature to protect itself. Right. So there's this quite complex interaction between sea and wind and then the vegetation on the ground. And I guess the, the point is that if we humans kind of come in all guns blazing, build a huge wall, that we're solving one problem, but creating another three problems. And what you're trying to do is look at engineering that doesn't create those other three problems, but actually kind of enhances the biodiversity and so on. Correct. Because nature is the best solution always. It's just a matter of looking at that balance and at the big picture. We can think on products, technologies, or solutions, but often we can avoid the problem by taking the right decisions on where to build, where not, let nature to recover. And I think that's something that we need to be absorbing a bit more because we're really in this system now that sometimes we forget about that interaction with nature. I want to look towards the future now. What are the innovations and things coming up in the future in this area that you're excited about? Well, there's a lot of things happening now on, in, in, in the ocean sector, which is amazing. You see from seaweed farming as a new option for providing food to data measuring techniques in a very efficient way, combining satellites, underwater robots, and other remote sensing techniques to new materials, new products on like what we're working on Refit to use them as part of the construction to include nature. So instead of being exclusive nature, to have nature-inclusive infrastructure. What kind of materials are we talking about? Because I know, you know, that a, a huge percentage of the waste in the oceans is plastic. And I'm sure that's something people are very aware of. So can you talk us a little bit through that? Yeah, I think the plastic problem became something in the media because of the ocean cleanup. So I think that's something that they did very well. And they started with a big challenge of collecting the Pacific garbage fields. So going to the deep ocean, collecting all this plastic. And something that they have discovered in that challenge is that we will never finish cleaning the ocean if we don't stop polluting the ocean. So they're now moving to stopping the plastic entering to the oceans by creating barriers on the rivers. So I think this is something that is teaching us that sometimes the problem can be solved in a different way as how we originally 
Thoughts? So talk to me a little bit about the issue with coastal erosion and tourism in certain parts of the world. Yeah, there is a lot of countries that they depend on tourism for their local economy, like most countries in the Caribbean. And their interaction with nature basically give them everything they have. Fisheries, tourism. Coastal erosion is taken away both from them because by not having a sandy beach, tourists won't come, distributing resources in the local economy, but it is also the place where they live. So coastal erosion is threatening their own home by just being eaten by the waves. But is there a problem with the balance that too much tourism might be causing some of these problems in the first place? Definitely, we haven't made some choices correctly. So one of the risks on reefs are also too many tourists around. So something that now is being discussed is limiting the amount of visitors per reef site per year to allow nature also to rest, to be alone, to recover. That's an example on how responsible tourism can be done in a different way than how it was done in the past. So given that, you know, obviously the climate crisis feels very, very urgent, how long do you think these better solutions will take to show us good results? And do you feel optimistic about the way in which we're going? Well, it's a very big philosophical question. So how we're going, I think we are in a crisis and we're not taking enough measures to respond to them. So in that way, I'm not happy. And we also need to think that if we change 100% our activities today, Tomorrow, it won't just become better. Why? Because nature also has certain buffers. So we need to think that even though we would change our status quo, the warming of the oceans has been already affected by the past. And water will keep increasing its temperature in the next year, even though we stop emitting greenhouses today. So I think that's something that we need to be aware of on the climate part and on biodiversity you see that nature can restore or can thrive very quickly. So there's a few examples, and one of them is Baja in Mexico. There is this town called Cabo Pumo that used to be a fisheries town, and they decided to stop any fishing activity in the area. And the change on how many species, how many individuals of each species are present is just astonishing. It's basically an aquarium when you go on the water you see huge pelagic fish swimming around you but also just this natural ecosystem below you that can really show that by just giving nature a protected area it can restore and also populate the surrounding waters that's why there is this ambition of protecting 30 percent of the ocean by 2030 so we have seven years to achieve that my last question is, what do you think the unique role is that engineers can play in conserving our oceans and our coasts? Nice. I love that question because I really like this podcast is using engineering as a central topic to discuss. And I think engineers and architects are changing how our surroundings look like. So we're changing where rivers go. We're changing where the highway is going to happen. So we're modifying how the earth looks so if we engineer, including nature, we can create a huge effect. Thank you so much for your time, Jaime. It was amazing to talk to you and thanks for, for the good questions. 
You've been listening to Create the Future, a podcast from the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering and Peanut and Crumb. This episode was presented by me, Roma Agrawal, and was produced by Tess Davidson. Look out for future episodes with conversations from pioneering engineers, designers, technologists, and thinkers. And if you've not had a chance to listen yet, why not catch up on our previous episodes exploring topics such as living cities and Mars missions. To find out more, follow QE Prize on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. See you next time.